When you look back on your life, what is the first memory you have of church? I want you to think back to see if you can remember when you first went to a church. What comes to mind? For me, I can remember sitting in a Sunday school class. I can't recall how old I was. I was pretty young. But I'm told by a very reliable source, my mother, that I was not a happy camper. I didn't like going to Sunday school. I guess I was too stubborn, too shy, but I was allowed to sit with the adults during the worship service instead of going to Sunday school class. What about uh, your first memories? For some of you, it meant uh, getting up early, putting on clothes you don't normally wear during the week, and going to church with your parents. For others of you, it may bring back memories of a different country, a place that uh, was in your past when you first went there, different province, different city. For some of you, you can't remember a time that you didn't go to church. You went to church as a baby. You worked, with, you worked your way through nursery, Sunday school classes, a junior church, youth groups, and now you're sitting here. For others today, this could be perhaps your first memory of church. This could be your first time. Or for some, it could be a time when you haven't been back to church for a long time. If so, welcome to Snowden. We're very happy to have you here. No matter who you are, we all have different experiences and expectations, memories, opinions about the church. We all have different thoughts about what church should be. And let's face it, let's be honest. There are things we like, things we tolerate, and things we don't like. That's just who we are. These expectations and opinions can change as we progress in life because we change as we get older. So what we want out of church changes as well. The requirements and expectations of families with young children are different than people who have children who have their own children now, empty nesters. Even people who would never even consider going to a church have an opinion about church. When God says church, what do you think he means? What do you think are God's expectations for his church? Let's be more specific. When God looks at us right now, what does he see? What does he expect of us? At times, we all can be guilty of undervaluing the importance and place of his church because we often simply do not know what is the church, what is meant by the word, and what makes us a church. Today, we're starting a new 10-week series that is called This Is My Church. It's going to run through the Christmas, and Pastor Jordan, Jonathan, Harry, and myself will walk with you, with each other, as we explore more deeply what God means by church, what God desires for us in order to be a church. We'll be covering areas such as prayer, family, the gospel, outreach, humility, various themes that God has brought to us. But this morning, we're going to begin with a simple question, what is the church? Because we can't be a church unless we know what is a church. And as we do this, we're going to end up 
in a place of worship, in a place where we're going to see something different for some of us. We're going to see Christ in a different way. Our passage today is Ephesians chapter 1, and I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles, whether it's in the Pew Bible or your own personal Bible. Because in this chapter, Paul begins to reveal to us a mystery. Everyone loves mysteries. And there's a mystery that belongs to God that Paul begins to talk about. It's a mystery that is so profound, so amazing, so wondrous, that in response, we are driven to worship him. We're driven to look at Christ in a new way, with a renewed sense of awe, as we move from him being our redeemer to him being the one in whom everything is fulfilled, the one in whom everything is beneath, as he's Lord over everything and everyone. But as we look at this passage, I want you to notice a few things, some introductory comments about this chapter. And the first thing is, there's a statement that Paul makes in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is his introductory comment, his statement of fact. And the rest of this chapter, Paul seeks to explain what this means. What does it mean to be receiving every spiritual blessing in Christ? The second aspect I want you to notice is that in verses 3 to 14 and 15 to 23, these are only two sentences in Greek. Now, when, when Rob read, read this passage, it's a long passage. But Paul wrote two sentences. A sentence normally is a thought you have. It's one thought. And so Paul has two thoughts here that he expands and explores and opens up by adding paraphrases and comments and expl- explanations which we're going to look at. The other thing I want you to notice is that there's a small phrase. In the NIV translation, it occurs 12 times. And it's the phrase, in Christ or through Christ. This is one of the keys in which to understand what Paul's talking about. One of the keys to understand what is the church in Christ. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. One of which is the church. In chapter 1, Paul provides for us three pictures, three images. He paints three general pictures that define and explain what the church is. And the first one, the first image he gives us in verses 4 to 12, is that it's the people of God. The signpost Paul gives for us in the text is in verse 4. For he, the Father, chose us, you, in him, Christ. This idea of chosen, being chosen, is something that is a signpost that Paul paints for us. We are blessed in every, in every spiritual blessing and heavenly realms in Christ because, for this reason, he chose us. And this concept of being chosen brings us back to an, an echo of the past, an echo of the Old Testament, in which God first made his covenant with people. Can you recall what happened in, in uh, the book of Genesis when God wanted to make a covenant? Did God uh, look over the earth, look down on the earth and say, let's see, 
who can I pick as my people? Well, there's this group, but uh, no, they're not satisfactory. How about this group here? Well, you know, they're all pretty bad. You look at our world today, what people would you pick if you wanted to have your people? I know, it would be the Philippines. <laughs> but for, for others, what, how would you pick? It's pretty difficult. Did God say, okay, down here I see a small group of people, okay, they're not that bad, I'll, I'll, I'll pick them. Did he do that? No, he didn't. He did something different. What God did was he chose to start fresh. He said, I'm not going to adopt a people, I'm going to make a people. I'm going to create people. I'm going to build a people. And so he chose one man. He chose Abram, who he renamed later Abraham. And God decided to make a covenant with him. In Genesis 17, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God chose one man, along with his wife, Sarah, to build a new people in covenant relationship with him. And he did this through the promised son of Isaac and through Isaac, Israel, and his descendants. But I want you to notice that this covenant membership was restricted. If you want to be part of God's family, his people, you had to be born into the house of Israel. At this time, you had to physically be born into a new community, into a nation that was to be the people of God. And of course, they had covenant obligations of obedience and worship, as seen in Deuteronomy. The Lord says, I will establish you as a holy people, as I swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, and walk in his ways. Let me ask you, do you think that I could become the king of England? It's not one of my top ten ambitions, but it's a question. Do you think that I, that I qualify to become the king of England? Sorry? I have a Scottish name. That'd be a revolution. Fletcher's my last name, that's why uh, Rob said that. But no, I, I could be the uh, most intelligent, brightest, most gifted leader the world has ever seen, but I could not become king of England for the simple reason I'm not born in the house of Windsor. That's the requirement. He must be born of royalty to be the king. But God had other plans beyond just descendants of Israel to be part of his people. It was to include everybody it was to bring all peoples to himself, to become his people. And this is seen in the book of Hosea. The Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. Those who were formerly outside now we're being included. But how? How could we be included? We're not born in the house of Israel. Well, this had to wait to be fulfilled 
in Christ. And that brings us back to our chapter in Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him. It's a new thing, a new way. It was always God's plan to create a covenant people, those who belong to him. And Paul tells us when the time was right, God chose his people in a brand new way. Not through physical birth anymore, now through spiritual birth. He chose us in him. He chose to bless us. And our text says he chose to bless us in five very specific ways that all build upon each other. In verse 4, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Remember in Genesis, when God said to Abraham, be holy and blameless, walk before me. Now God sees us, sees each of you who know him, as holy and blameless. Did you think that God just sort of said one day, okay, okay, from, from this moment now, I see you as blameless. I'm going to ignore everything in your life that's wrong. Well, it says that he sees us as holy and blameless in his sight. Is that how he did it? In the next verse, Paul explains something else. Not only does he declare us holy and blameless, he says, I'm adopting you as my children. In verse 5 and 6. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Twice he says, in him and in the one he loves. It's all in Christ. It's the key to the text. We're chosen to be his children. But how can we be his children? Well, Paul expands on it again in verses 7 and 8. He tells us that in Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and it's all fitted within God's grace, which he lavishes upon us. We think of lavish as a, a, a very rich word. You're lavished. Not just given a little bit. It's poured on you. That's his blessing upon us. That's how he demonstrates his love to us. Not only that, he also lets us in on some secrets. He lets us know the mystery of his will. And this begins the first kind of climax in this passage. The last one is at the very end of this chapter, but here's a foretaste that Paul gives us in verses 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So the Father made known to us the mystery of his own will. Have you ever thought to think to yourself, what is God's will? What does God want? For the world, for me, for my life, what, what does he want? Well, he makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. It's for his pleasure that he tells us these things. Which he purposed in Christ. Again, the idea of in Christ. To put in effect when the times shall reach their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together on one, under one head, even Christ. I like the translation of the NASB, where it says that God has summed everything up in Jesus. All the promises in the Old Testament, all the prophecies in the New Testament, all of history and life, all creation and existence, all purpose, all questions find their answer in Jesus. He is the one. We have a, you know, we have an election tomorrow. What do people want in a government? They're not going to get it because it's people. We have to wait for Jesus. It doesn't matter who sits in office. 
They're human beings. They're going to make mistakes, and they're going to do some good things. That's just us as people. But Christ will rule supreme, and everything will find its fulfillment in him as he unifies all things to himself. Because this is so profound, because this is so amazing, Paul repeats it again in verses 11 and 12. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined to according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Might be. Might be what? Did Paul miss something in the sentence? That you might be for his glory. What do you think that means? It means that we might be his. Might belong to him. That's the first picture of God's church. That he chose you to belong to him. Even when we were looking for him, he chose to open his arms and to bring us to himself. To invite us to become his. Now on our own, it's impossible to be his people. I cannot be the king of England. There's no way any of us could warrant or earn our place among his children. You cannot buy, beg, push, persuade your way into God's people. Under the Old Testament covenant, you had to be born into the family of God, physically. In the second covenant, the new covenant, it means spiritual rebirth. This is the great mystery that was now hidden but now is known, that the Father has chosen to create a new people for himself, through and in Christ, and that Christ would rule supreme over all of this. This is a picture of the church, the first picture. As you sit here listening to me, if you're still awake and following me, ask yourself, honestly, do I belong to the Father? Am I sure, am I, am I positive that I'm counted among his people? Is there a clear point in your life when you knew that God chose you to be his? You see, God's church is comprised of those who belong to him. Those who are his children, those who are called according to his purposes. So it follows that for us to be a church, we can only be a church if we are the people of God. We can't just get together and say, you know, let's be a church. Sure, sounds like a good idea. No, it has to be comprised of the people of God. And since this is impossible, we have to look to God to do that for us, to do it within us. It must be the reality of our church. The second picture that he gives for us is that of being a temple of the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. You know, Paul says, and you also were included in Christ when you, one, heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and two, having believed, hearing and believing. That brings you into God's presence, into being part of him. But not only that, God doesn't just say, you're now mine, you belong to me, go off and live. He gives something else to us something that was new. He gives us the mark of the Holy Spirit, a seal of the Holy Spirit. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
What does that mean, to be sealed in the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that, um, you know, for those of you who like to can tomatoes and uh, jam, does that mean he puts us in a jar and he seals us? Pop! You're sealed in him now? You can't get out? Is that what the seal means? In Paul's time, a seal referred to a mark of ownership or possession. When God chooses us to be his people, that is at the moment that you receive him, the moment that you give your life to him, God sets his sign of ownership in you. Not a stamp on your forehead, it's inside of you. God's spirit becomes alive in you as a sign that you belong to him. Why is this important? What has this got to do with being a church? Well, it's God's pleasure that we actually be recreated in our hearts in faith before him. And he actually gives us the ability and desire to belong to him, to be like him. This was always missing in the Old Testament. People couldn't have the Holy Spirit because you had to be clean before God before he could receive him. In fact, even Jesus said this in John 16, um, 7. I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is the mark of the Holy Spirit. And believe me, almost all of you have seen that. You have seen the mark of the Holy Spirit upon other believers. Have you ever gone anywhere, a different church, different country, you met believers, can't understand a word they say, can't understand the music, the culture's different, but there's a connection. There's a sense that, you know, we're on the same wavelength. Inside I know I can, I can sense that. You're seeing the mark of the Holy Spirit in the person. You're seeing the possession of God's presence in that person that you share with somebody. You feel at home in that situation. You couldn't explain it necessarily, but it's there. It's only one amongst other signs. It's an intuitive mark that God gives us. Out of that, we are called to be his sanctuary, a place where God dwells and lives. Paul tells us, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And he repeats it again in Ephesians, just the next chapter. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. That is the church. It's a place where God dwells within his people and lives through his people. We also receive an inheritance that God gives us. You know, it's, it's kind of difficult, but when do you receive an inheritance? When do you normally receive an inheritance? What has to happen? Somebody has to die to get the inheritance. That's sad, because we don't like death. Death is bad. But people leave bequeaths behind them. Well, what inheritance have we received? What had to happen for us to receive an inheritance? Somebody had to die. It was Jesus. When Jesus died and rose, he gave us an inheritance. And as the text says, that the inheritance we've received is not yet fully received. It's still waiting for us. But for the present, he gives us a foretaste. So the pledge or deposit of the Holy Spirit, which guarantees our inheritance. Think of the best time you've had in worship. 
Think of the best message you've heard. Think of the best time you've had with the Lord alone, walking in a forest and just feeling his presence. That's a small foretaste of what is to come. That's a foretaste of the inheritance that God has waiting for us, to be in his presence. And together we are beginning to experience that inheritance as we share our community together as a church. If you belong to him, then you're marked by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is in you to give you the ability to be a church. He gives us the ability to be a church, not just to be, but to be together. I like the words of uh, Martin Luther King. He talked about faith. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the staircase. God asks us at a church sometimes, okay, take a step. I know you don't know where you're going. I know you're not sure. I know it's scary. And I may even think it's wrong step to take, but I'm telling you to take the step because I'm the one who sees the full staircase. I know that this step needs to the next one. That also is another picture of us following him. So what is the church? It's belonging as a people of God. It's having the Holy Spirit in us, being the temple. And lastly, it's being the body of Christ. That's the last section of what Paul talks about in this chapter. And actually, Paul prefaces this. And remember, this is one long sentence from verses uh, uh, 15 to 23. This is one thought. And Paul begins it with a prayer that he prays and ends with this final image and picture of what it is to be the church. Paul says to us in verse 18 that he wants us to know God better. That's his prayer. Know the Father better. And we... He says that, and also to know the hope of his calling. Know that you belong to him. You may not feel like it sometimes, but you do if you've trusted in him. The riches of inheritance, knowing what that means. We've just discussed that. Paul is recapping in many ways. And knowing the greatness of his power in verse 19. And this is the other final climax to all of this which turns us away from ourselves to look above ourselves. For he says in verse 20 that the power that he speaks of, that's incomparable for us who believe, this power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power that he gives to us is the same power that he uses to raise Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that seated Christ at the, his right hand. And it's the same power that sets Christ above everything. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Everything is beneath the feet of Jesus. Because we read the Gospels, read the New Testament, we, we see Jesus when he walked on the earth. That's what we see as our Savior. But we also see another picture of our Savior, the one who's above us, the one who stands above, and everything's beneath his feet. It's so far down you can barely see it. When you think about that, him coming into the world was incomparably difficult. I mean, you think of yourself. What would it take for you to put off everything of your humanness and become like an ant on the ground in summertime? To, to compress yourself into that 
And that doesn't even come close to what Jesus, who's above all, did to come and save us, to make us a church, to cause us to belong, to cause us to have his Holy Spirit, his very spirit inside of us. And finally, out of that power, what does what what Paul say? This exalted Christ who is above us, so far above us, and he, God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills, fills, fills everything in every way. What is our church? It's the body of Christ. We belong to him. This God's spirit lives in us to enable us, to give us the ability to be his, to live as a church. And he even includes us within his body. That'll be explored in a future, future message. I don't want to do everything in one message. That'll be covered in, in the course of the weeks as we preach. But what I want to emphasize, though, is this last little phrase in verse 23, which is his body, Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ fills his church. His body is being filled by him. That's what church is. That's what it's supposed to be. His fullness in and through us. It's about living in harmony with Christ, consulting Christ, depending on him. It's living in humility just as he lives amongst us in humility. And it's about service as we serve each other just as he serves us. He wants us to serve him. As a church, we serve Christ in worship, which we did this morning. We serve Christ by serving each other. And we serve Christ by reaching out to a broken world because they don't know this. They have no clue what the mystery of God is and what he purposes for us. So what is the church? The church is comprised of people who belong to God as his people, that he chose us to be his. It's to live as God's people, filled by his spirit. We cannot be the church. We can try, but we can't do it. God has to do it in us. And it's to serve God as members of Christ's body. Is this our church? When I asked you at the beginning to think about the memories of your church, first church, first church visit, or the opinions you may have about what, what church, what you like, what you don't like, did this come to mind? It didn't for me until I began to read scripture and I said, okay, God, what is church to you? What does it mean to you? Because that's what it's supposed to mean to me. And that's what it's supposed to mean to us. It means we belong to him. We live for him. And we minister through him. He allows us to participate in his ministry. So, do you belong? Are you counted one of God's people by his grace? Realizing that it's nothing that you can do. And, you know, this is between you and God, so, so be honest. If there is any doubt, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I'm not really sure. Am I part of God's people or not? If that's where you are, that's okay. But I'd love to talk to you after the service to help you to see if you've made a, a choice for Christ that you belong to him. Would you say that you're living for Christ by his spirit? Do you know how to do that? you know what that means? 
Because as a church, we must submit to Christ as head and all of our decisions, all of our choices, all that we do and think as a body of believers must be in accordance with what he desires. Asking him, seeking him. And lastly, are you serving? As members of Christ's body, as members of this church, it means serving each other in love and humility. As a church, are we filled with people who are ministering through Christ's provision of his, his gifts that he's given us? Maybe there's something in this church you'd love to do, but you're shy about doing that. Or you don't want to say, why don't we do this in case somebody says, good, why don't you do it? It's scary. <laughs> if God is placing in your heart some ministry to be involved in, talk to somebody, talk to the, talk to the leadership team. We'll see what we can, we can work out. Because God puts ideas in your hearts. He puts ideas in your minds of what we should be doing as a church. It doesn't just come from a leadership or from a few people. It comes from you. That's what it means to be a body, a family, a community of those who belong to God, those who have God's spirit, and those who are serving as part of his body. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what we're doing. So we come to church to encourage each other to learn how to worship and how to serve God. But this is impossible. Can't be done. Everything I said can't be done. The bar is set so high, we can barely see it. God's standard is so high, we can't even begin to reach it. There's no ladders high enough. We can't belong to him, we can't serve him, we can't live for him. We can't do it without Christ. It's back to the key of this text. It's in Christ. If you forget everything I said, which you will do, and I don't I, I feel bad about that. I know it. When you walk out of here, just two words. Remember, two words. In Christ. Because that's what life's about. Living in Christ. That's what the church is about. Living in Christ. We cannot be a church without him. For he stands supreme and above all. This is his church that he's allowed us to be part of. And this is the one who sits far above every authority, every dominion, every power, every name, forever and ever. That's the one we have as head of this church. That's the one we have leading this church. As long as he's leading and we're following, we are a church. It's his decision to make us his. To him be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are perfect and complete in yourself. You have no need of anything. You are holy and righteous, and you decided, Lord, for your good pleasure, because you chose to do it, you chose, Lord, to create the world, to create people, to create life. And you chose, Lord, to create your church, to call out a people who were not your people, to belong to you, so that even the very existence of your people and your church is to your praise, is to your glory, is to your honor. And we worship before you, Lord. We humble ourselves and we bow before you, God. We want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for including us in your kingdom. Thank you for including us and calling us so that we can belong to you. 
that we can have your spirit in us, that we can serve you, that we can be in this place, Lord, called Snowden Baptist Church, something that you've done and you've allowed us to join you, Lord, and to serve you. Jesus is becoming, we sing one last song before you. We pray that in our hearts you would be sitting far above in your rightful place, exalted and high, full of honor and glory. For in you, Jesus, we live forever and ever with you, Lord. Amen.